This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another with Lindsay Hine. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much to all of the healthcare workers and essential employees out there who are working hard while we stay home and try to flatten this curve. We appreciate you all so much during this time, during the COVID crisis, and I just want to say thank you. I can't say enough. All right, today you're listening to episode 241, and I'm talking with Kayla Edwards. Kayla Edwards is an 800-meter runner. She ran for Oklahoma State, and she now runs professionally for Adidas. She recently opened her season with a really fast 800, her fastest season opener yet, in a time of 2.03. She has an 800-meter PR of 159.68, and currently she is coached by her boyfriend, Chad Knoll. She ran for Oklahoma State, where she was a national champion in the 1500. And in this episode, we talk a little bit about her college career as well as what it was like to go pro, what it was like to compete in the 2016 Olympic trials compared to what the experience will be like heading into this next trials. Now, I said this before on the Vanessa Frazier interview a couple episodes ago, but we recorded this quite a while ago now. It was like at least four weeks ago. And so, so much in this world has changed since I recorded this episode with Kayla When we recorded the episode, we were under the impression that the Olympic trials would possibly still be going on and that the Olympics would still be going on this year. Um, We weren't sure, but we were talking under the assumption that it was going to happen. So just know that some of this conversation kind of falls into that category uh, as far as like talking about training for the trials and all that. But we also in this episode get to hear about Kayla running with Joe Bossard, Emma Coburn's husband, who is her coach, what it was like for her to train with Emma and Corey and Aisha, and what ultimately was the decision that led her to be coached by Chad. I learned a lot about Kayla in this episode and really enjoyed talking with her and getting to know her. And And Kayla has so much to look forward to in her career and I really can't wait to see what she does in the 800 meters and beyond. All right, friends, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. That is super helpful in new listeners finding that show. So I appreciate it so much and make sure you check out the other podcasts in this podcast network, Sandy Boy Productions Network. We also have the up and running podcast with Lauren Flores and Abby Stanley, a great podcast bringing you all the news in elite and professional distance running as well as interview based episodes. And then the Illuminate podcast where I co-host with several of my girlfriends. We take turns hosting and we talk to people who are doing interesting and good work in this world. Recently, I talked to Sarah Canny who talked with us with her husband, Mark, about encouragement based parenting one of those episodes where if you have small kids or if you have kids that are teenagers or you don't even have kids, it's still a really great episode to learn from and you're going to want to take notes. So check that out at the Illuminate podcast. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Kayla Edwards. 
Well, today on the podcast, we have Kayla Edwards on the show. Welcome to the show, Kayla. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me onto my first podcast. Well, you know, I looked to see if you'd been on other shows and in my research and checking things out and I didn't see you on any. So this is extra exciting that we are, uh, we're the first. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. And I appreciate you uh, being flexible too. Yes. So it would be a good time. Yeah. So tell me what's going on in your life right now. What are you up to today? Um, well, today I got up to run right away, which I don't always do. I tend to ha- prefer relaxing mornings where I just kind of drink coffee, eat, maybe watch TV, relax, and run when I feel like it. But today, since I had this scheduled and just some little things to take care of, I got running done out of the way, which I feel pretty productive doing that. Um, just creating a little bit more structure. But I did a run and did some hills. So got a little power. It's like a very mini workout. That's not too taxing. Um, but you're still getting a little extra stimulus. And then I got eight miles total. So I'm still getting some good volume, which for me, that's a lot of volume and one day for a not full workout. But yeah, so, so far I've just run and had a little breakfast and got ready for the show. You know, I have mixed feelings about the early morning run like you're talking about because I do always feel better when I just get up and do it. But I I also really love that like downtime in the morning where I can drink my coffee and like ease into it. Yeah, I'm definitely that way. But then it does tend to eat into the day pretty quickly because you think running like when my friends ask me, what do you do with all your time? I'm like, well, I run and that's mostly it. But then I am like, it does kind of take a lot of time out of your day because you have to stretch and then you shower and cook and that still ends up adding a lot of extra time. And you're like, well, then I got to recover. So I got to watch TV or, you know, lay down or Norma Tech or whatever it is that entails the recovery le- for an athlete. The life of a professional runner. Yeah. Um, and then the day ends up going by so quickly and then I'm like, oh, it's too late. And if there's certain things you have to take care of by like five o'clock where business is closed, it's like, oh, I guess I kind of ate into that time and I I guess I'll do it tomorrow. So those late mornings do kind of make me a little unproductive, but at the same time, I'm getting my job done and that's what matters the most. So I can't be too upset about that. But yeah, I do feel pretty good today that I'll be able to get more done. So I appreciate that you pushed me to get <laughs> a more productive day. We'll do a standing 1 p.m. podcast <laughs> at once a <Yeah>. week. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So are you in Boulder right now? I am. Yes. Okay. So you grew up in Cal- Colorado, though. So I was kind of thinking, mm-hmm. like, have you even really, well, then you went and ran at Oklahoma, but have you really had to adjust much to altitude? Was, were, were you living at altitude when you grew up? I was, but it actually was pretty tough getting used to altitude again. When I was in high school, well, I didn't start really running track until my sophomore year of high school. And I was training as more of a 400 runner. So I wasn't really doing a lot of volume. And literally my first day of cross-country practice was the longest I'd ever run. And I was dying. 
it was like three miles. So yeah, that was like a lot to me. Yeah. Because I, I started cross country my junior year. So I'd done one season of track, but it was just like sprinting on the track and not really doing straight runs. So I wasn't really a big volume runner for a long time. Um, so when I would come back from college, it did feel like a little bit of an adjustment. And then when I moved back full time, it definitely was an adjustment because not only was I running more, but I was training as a pro, which is already a difficult task. <laughs> yeah. So did you say that you didn't start running until your sophomore year of high school? Correct. Yeah. So actually I did one season in middle school of track, but I feel like that doesn't really count because I like didn't always go to practice Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Um, I was also playing basketball at the time. So I wasn't really taking it serious. And I was like doing a hundred meter or 110 hurdles and long jump in the 400. So it was just like, didn't, I feel like that doesn't really count. Yeah. It was like experimental track track. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was just like something else to fill my time. Yeah, totally. Not yet knowing what the potential that you were going to be tapping into. Right. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, so I went to a different high school that I graduated from my freshman year and I went to one day of track practice there and decided I wasn't interested. And then I ended up transferring schools to Littleton High School where I graduated. And that's when I started running track. And that is where the story begins. <laughs> yeah. Did you did that? Was there a coach that sought you out? Like they kind of watched you and saw that you had potential or did you kind of pursue that on your own? It was something I kind of pursued on my own. Like I kind of knew I was good at running just in gym class. I would always end up racing the boys because mm. there'd always be a track session and my coach would be like, well, try racing these guys and see how you do. And when I played basketball, I was like, terrible I had terrible ball handling skills I think well one I wasn't disciplined in the sport that was a big part of it but I also like to say that my legs were too fast for my the rest of my body to keep up with Mm. Um, which is why I think I made a better defender than like a point guard (laughs) are you tall I'm like five seven and a half so you went on to run at Oklahoma State Um, yes talk to us about that recruitment process and, and choosing that school? Oh yeah. Um, it was, that was so foreign to me. I did not know what to expect. I mean, my, neither of my parents played collegiate sports, so Mm -hmm. it was very new. Um, and I actually seek some help like outside of my family just for more advice and maybe like a little bit more structure going into this process, um, which kind of helped with the communication and everything with coaches. Um, so I had like a few home visits. And then when I visited, I visited three different schools. I'd visited Washington, Oregon State and Oklahoma State and actually did all those visits in, I think, one week. But yeah, it started, you know, you get the mail of all the different schools that are interested. And then um, once it's time that coaches can call you, I kind of you know, paid more attention to the coaches I felt like I meshed with and showed the most interest and excitement. Um, And I think Dave Smith was very, he was very persistent. And, you know, it really seemed like he cared. Like, I remember 
after I had run a PR in the 800 and the mile two different times, I wanted to call him and tell him like, oh, this is how good I'm doing. Mm. Um, and I didn't really feel like that with the other coaches. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So I was like pretty excited about that. That's good intuition. Um, yeah. And then when I visited there, I felt like I fit in right away. Um, my parents had gone with me on the visit, but I was kind of like, bye, I'm just going to go hang out with the team and experience this on my own. And it was something I didn't even think twice about. And yeah, I had Kaylee Glenn. She was, I think, a junior at the time. She was my host and she always took on the recruits, but she did a very good job. And um, there was a lot of big team events that went on. So it was really easy to really get a feel for the team. And right away, I felt like I belonged. And then it kind of set the tone for the next two um, school visits. And they just didn't really compare. Mm. Um, Well, I loved hearing about your connection with Oklahoma State. And um, I think if if nothing else, that's a good nudge to coaches and teams out there if they really want to recruit someone, how to how to make them feel, you know, because that was clearly such an important part. Now, what was it like being coached by him and talk about that experience. Yeah, uh, I really, I'm really grateful for my experience at OSU and that Dave Smith saw the potential in me because I was, you know, I was still pretty young. I'd run pretty fast, but I, you know, was nothing crazy. I don't think, um, and I, I think he's really good at p- picking out untapped potential. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think you can see with some of the other females that have come through, especially in my class and then some of the younger classes that he just sifted through somehow and found people that really grew a lot in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really neat, just feeling like he really cared and saw a lot in me, especially because I did deal with a lot of injury in college. There was definitely times I'm like, oh, I'm just a waste. I'm on, mm. you know, I'm a, a scholarship athlete, but I'm injured all the time. But Dave believed in me, which I think also helped me to have that motivation to get back into shape mm-hmm. or, you know, or spend all the time cross training. Um, so I think just having someone believe in you means a lot. Um, but then I think he, I think he's pretty smart. He's uh, pretty conservative, has a pretty conservative approach to training. Well, at least for me, I guess sometimes with the men, he really works in hard, but with the women, he can be pretty conservative. So I think the way he developed me as an athlete was just what I needed. Um, he kind of broke us up into mi- a middle distance group separate from the cross country group at the start. And I think that was a really good transition and a really good building block for me to, because he trains everyone a lot like distance runners. And so I think that time having a middle distance group was a good transition to train more like a distance runner because a lot of middle distance athletes end up running cross country um, on the women's side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you run cross country? I did. Yeah. So I ran my sophomore year. Uh, OSU and then every year after that. Okay. How did that training play into your track training? Uh, I think it's really good. I really needed to get aerobically stronger. Okay. Since I was a sprinter coming out of high school, 
uh, I think that really helped me be strong and allowed me to become a mile and sea champion because that takes a lot of aerobic strength to run a good mile. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of a surprise when I started running well my first cross country season. Although I crushed and burned at the end because I just did not have enough base to handle 6K. Because um, our first, the first time I ran a 6K was at Big 12 Championships. And then I think it's a week later or 10 days later, you have regionals. And I just did not recover. So that was pretty rough. Um, but then, you know, each year kind of builds on itself. So I got a little better each year during cross country. Well, you skimmed over this, but we'll highlight it that your junior year, you did become a national champion in the indoor mile. So, um, would you, would you say that was one of the highlights of your career at Oklahoma? Definitely. I mean, I think that's any collegiate athletes, um, dream (laughs) and their, during their experience in college. So, I mean, I think that's pretty huge and that's something that can, really never be taken away from me uh, rather than having an NCA record or a yeah. school record. Yeah. So that's really special. Um, and it's really fun because my boyfriend, Chad, he's a 1500 uh, NCA champ outdoors. So it's pretty special that we both can like tell our potential kids down the future that we're both NCA champions. So, yeah, that's and really I think cool. that's really special. It is really special. Um, yeah. And, and you also do, I know that it's a really good point that that can't be taken away from you, but you do hold the, in, the records at Oklahoma and the 1000 meters, 1500 meters and the mile. So your name is definitely down in the history books at that school. What do you think you learned most from your whole collegiate experience as a whole? Uh, I definitely learned that uh, I uh, I don't have to be held back mm. by the things that get in the way, like injury. You can always come back from injury. Um, and I think that kind of teaches you life lessons that if, you know, there's something in the way, you can always find another way to get through it and become stronger in the end, which I guess could kind of be a cliche, but I... I don't know what teaches you more than that. Yeah. What kind of injuries did you struggle with? I have had a handful of femoral neck. Well, I've had two femoral neck um, stress reactions. One of them was actually a stress fracture. And then I've had a few reactions in uh, the shaft of my femur. So a lot of femur problems. That's only been my injuries. When in college did you realize that going pro was a reality for you? I think maybe after my second indoor truck season when I'd gotten second in the 800. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was about the time because I just kept getting better and better. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Dave has some connections he's friends with Jerry Schumacher and he had connections with the Brooksby so that was always something he would talk about um and so of course I was like oh those are you know Nike and Brooks or the companies to look out for you know um and like he was starting to like create that interest 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but, be, but then I was just kind of like, mm, I don't know. And then Chad and I started dating and that was his goal. So then that kind of put it in my mind as well. And I think he, Chad also saw the potential for me as well. So he was encouraging that for myself as well. So it was kind of like an external influence that made me realize that. And then once I kind of was influenced, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. So then I kind of put being a student second and being an athlete first. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I still got good enough grades, so. Yeah. I think I just spent less time taking extra notes and, you know, the little things. Yeah, totally. Let's hear about starting to run with Adidas and how that came about. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, again, I brought up Chad a lot, but he's been pretty huge in my career and still is. And he went pro the year before me. So he gained a lot of knowledge that he didn't have when he was in my position the year before. So uh, he kind of was like, look out for these agents. And this is what pro running really looks like because no collegiate athlete really understands what being a pro is unless there's a pro nearby to give them information. Mm -hmm. And so I was really fortunate to have, you know, an inside look into the reality of pro running. So I think he really helped me, like he influenced me to talk to my agent, Mark Whitmore, which was huge. And, you know, they have a lot of uh, Adidas, Adidas athletes that global. um, So I think that really helped. And then I was really fortunate that I had an independent contract with Adidas. So that allowed me to end up here rather than being in a certain group, which I think is worked out really well for me. And I really like having autonomy and Adidas has allowed me to have that, which I think has allowed me to have my successes. Yeah. You know, I just interviewed, um, Vanessa Frazier and yeah. yeah, And she was kind of talking about that as well. Like, um, just coming out of college, like not really knowing what the process was going to be to go pro. And she was talking about how she listened to all these podcasts of pro runners to hear about how they made that transition. So it's just kind of fascinating that there's not, um, it's like, do you need a handbook? I don't know what it is, but that the investigating that you have to do, whereas I feel like other sports, it might be a little bit more simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also crazy because there's so many, there's different factors that go in to your opportunities as a professional track athlete, because like it kind of depends on which other athletes are coming out at the time because you're a handful of you are essentially um, fighting for certain contracts. Yeah. Um, So that can play into it, um, the timing. And then, you know, certain, I guess at certain times there's different companies trying to fill roles of certain athletes. So maybe there's more uh, higher demand for middle distance athletes, maybe a higher demand for distance uh, or a higher demand for sprinters. So it all kind of depends on the environment of the um, different shoe companies too. So there's so many other factors outside of just what you've done as an athlete. 
Yeah. So you mentioned your boyfriend, Chad, who also coaches you now. Is he still, is he still running professionally? He is. Yeah. So he's still training. He has dealing with a little hiccup. Um, he had to take, he took a lot of time off last spring, um, just needed a mental break. And then I think coming back and tapping into speed again, he's dealing with a little injury, but is on the comeback now, but he's really trying to give it a go this next year or two. Okay. And is he running for Adidas as well, or is he unsponsored currently? He's currently unsponsored. Okay. Um, so I know you were training under Joe Bossard for a while and you were training with um, that group over there with Emma Coburn. And I'm curious about what that looked like and then why you decided to transition into training under your boyfriend, Chad. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was very fortunate to start my career under Joe and with Emma and Aisha and then eventually Corey. Um, I think, I mean, it's really good because they really know the ropes of professional running. So I think it kind of made it easier. I could in some ways get my hand held a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they work really hard and have a good work work ethic and, you know, have created good structure for themselves that works really well. And I think that I know it's just, I kind of easily slid into um, a good spot to start my career. But, you know, I, with as, as with most things in life, there's a clear point that things need to change. And that happened this winter for, you know, various reasons. We had a pretty rough year last year. Chad's mom was diagnosed with lung cancer and we uh, flew her out to take care of her and live with us. And so we had to deal with that. And we unfortunately lost her last May. So that was just like caused like a lot of problems and it really, and then I was dealing with injury as well. So I had another femur injury on top of us managing, taking care of a sick mom. That's hard. And that just, yeah, that just like created, you know, some problems going into this year, which was fine. I think things organically happen as they should. So it was a little tough to make a transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just to get through going something, going through something so hard and learning to be a supportive girlfriend mm-hmm. for someone who's going through something so emotional, which, um, and you kind of just have to learn how to get through it. Um, and we did fortunately, uh, but yeah, it just kind of created and the timing helped with, uh, Chad and I had talked about him potentially coaching me down the road. And I was like, oh, I'm not really sure about it. But then, you know, things change. And I was like, oh, well, we got to make a change. Uh, And then it just seemed like the right timing for him to coach me. And he started coaching himself last year. So he's he's always been a student of the sport. And with getting ready for his own training, he was really prepared to start developing my training. And he really knows me as an athlete and has seen me. For the past, I don't know, six years, seven years, um, see me as an athlete. So I think it was like a really easy transition. Yeah, that's a lot. So you and Chad lived together and his mom came and lived with you and you guys took care of her like while as she was dying? Yeah. Wow. 
that's a lot that and you're you guys are young yeah it's crazy it's like most people if they experience this they experience it way later in life and they're married established maybe have kids or it's not necessarily easier but more stable I guess yeah and it feels more natural when yeah. you're when you're older to take care of a parent right. that's that's dying um that's something really that's I've walked through my mother-in-law passed away a couple years ago but you know like you said we had been married for nine years you know when that happened mm-hmm. and so it's just something that would be it's like a very um trying to think of what the word I'm looking for is, but just like it, it stamps a point in your life when you go through something like that, that you will always have that like bond with your boyfriend that nobody will ever know because of walking through that together. Yeah, for sure. And it definitely wasn't easy. And I mean, it creates a lot of other problems, but if you can get through that, yeah, it's stressful. And, but it's like, and that, you know, definitely played into the struggles of being an, an athlete and being in the group. But I mean, if I had to choose between Chad and running, I I mean, he's my boyfriend and he's going to be there longer than running, mm-hmm. you know, so I kind of was at a point in a way where I had to make the choice. And unfortunate, I mean, fortunately, that wasn't really the case. It just kind of temporarily felt like that but I truly believe it's my duty as a girlfriend regardless if we're like gonna be together forever or not that's I just truly believe that I needed to step into that role to be the supportive person in his life yeah and I I, you know I remember when my mother-in-law passed away like I would feel guilty getting stressed out about the other things in life that were going on. You know, I had three little kids and, um, Mm -hmm. just like when things would feel inconvenient or extra hard, it, then you feel guilty because you're like, well, she's dying and she's your mom, but life still goes on elsewhere. So it's, it, it is that that is a really challenging, um, part of life that you just walk through. And honestly, it's still really fresh. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's pretty crazy just to think how much, life you can experience in a very short amount of time yeah like I feel like I've lived multiple lives in one year (laughs) hey everybody I'm gonna take a quick break real quick and share what's going on with the one America 500 festival mini marathon this is a race I partner with every year and like every other race this spring it has been canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic response and you can still participate virtually, and I want you to know that. So the One America 500 Festival Mini Marathon and the Delta Dental 500 Festival 5K are both going virtual, and as a community, we can still indie mini together. The 500 Festival Mini Marathon is a nonprofit, and this is the 500 Festival's largest fundraiser of the year to support their free youth programs and events, which benefit more than 100,000 Hoosier kids annually. So this is a big deal that this race was canceled and we want to still support what they are doing for Hoosier kids. So registration is still open until 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on May 1st. 
you can go to indiemini.com slash register. It's $65 for the virtual One America 500 Festival Mini Marathon. And it's $30 for the virtual Delta Dental 500 Festival 5K. You'll still receive your shirt, your medal, and participant hat this summer. You can complete this anywhere, anytime through June 30th. Again, I just want to remind everybody, if you've already signed up or you plan to do the virtual race, that this is a nonprofit and this is the 500 Festival's largest fundraiser of the year. So it's really exciting to still participate in this event. I am definitely still participating in the mini marathon myself. So again, you can go to ndmini.com slash register to get signed up for their virtual race. All right, everybody. And I also want to let you know that I do have a Patreon page. If you're looking for more episodes from me right now, there are two bonus episodes a month coming out over there. One with my friend Lauren Flores, who hosts the Up and Running podcast, and one with my husband, Glenn. I'm really excited to be having Lauren come on Patreon once a month now as a returning guest. And Glenn is always coming on Patreon with all the hot takes. You can find that information and access to those episodes at patreon.com slash Hine. And when you support the show for as little as three or $5 a month, you get access to both of those episodes. Thank you so much to everybody who is already supporting over there. It means so much to me. I appreciate each and every one of you. All right, let's continue my conversation with Kayla Edwards. So do you think that now looking forward to 2020, your season is obviously off to a really great start. You got second place at the indoor championships. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And um, opened your season with your fastest 800 opener ever in 203. Mm -hmm. So are you feeling renewed? Like last year was really hard. Are you feeling renewed right now? I am. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely very hard. I was so scared making the change because I think for most people, especially as an athlete, making changes can be difficult. So there is a lot of anxiety. Like, is this the right thing? Is this going to work out? Um, And, you know, I was happy to start my season the way I did, but I'm like, oh, you know, it's like still not enough to make me feel like things are going the right way. And then each race kept getting better. And so I finally got that security I needed. And I've definitely grown in my confidence way more than I know. I like feel way, way more confident than I have at other points. So I'm definitely feeling renewed. And I think experiencing such a low has made me maybe even more grateful for what I'm doing, because I think it's really easy when you've been an athlete for 10 years and it's so routine that you sometimes forget how special it is what we're doing. Mm. Yeah. So I think that plays into it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you are headed into an Olympic year. Well, we're in an Olympic year. Right. This is so full circle for me. I was telling you this before we like hit record that I started this show in 2016, which is also an Olympic year. Yeah. And so it was so exciting to see all these athletes coming up. You're hearing new names of people trying to make teams and crazy that in 2016, 
you did run in the trials in that crazy yeah. 800 meter race and you got 20th. And so yeah, clearly this year is like a whole nother ball game for you. Like talk to us about your feelings when you ran in the 2016 trials, still a college student and, and now mm-hmm. running, going to run in the trials in the 800 in 2020. Yeah. Well, first it's really crazy that, excuse me, that that was only four years ago. Yeah. Like time has just flown by. Um, but what's also crazy is, so 2016, I had won NCAs. I had anchored uh, really fast four by eight at pin relays. So then we were like, oh, maybe there's like a chance to do really well at the trials. But then I actually had symptoms of a stress reaction in May leading into big 12s Mm. so I'd actually taken some time off from running because I was really worried I was getting injured again um and then so I went and ran NCAs and I was sixth because I was just like not super fresh which actually that's really big getting that getting sixth in outdoor NCAs Um, but you know, so I was like kind of coming back or trying to get back into shape, uh, for the trials. And then as you're kind of getting at there, the standard was only two Oh three. So it was a very, very, very full field Mm -hmm. and you had to win your heat to move on. Or I think it was when the heat or top two or whatever, but anyways, I was like right there and there was, uh, I was just like edged out of making that final or whatever had happened. Basically, whatever the situation was with qualifying, I had just missed out on making the second round. Mm. But I was really happy because, I mean, I was able to get a little bit of a training block to be able to run decently um, at the trials. And, you know, at that point, as a collegiate, it's like it would take a crazy miracle to make the final or even make the team. So I was just more like happy to be there. But now it's like it's my job to make Mm. that final, Um, which I mean, now I don't feel too much pressure because I'm like, I just got to step up and do my job. And I've seen what I'm capable of. Um, And now it's realistic to think about making the team. So I'm really excited about that. Um, And, you know, nothing's there's so many things that can happen in a final So um, things can go one way or another. And I think if I just kind of put my head down and work and when I'm struggling to just think like it's going to pay off Um, and like what can be the result of getting through those hard training blocks could end up allowing me to be an Olympian is pretty special. So I guess overall, it's pretty crazy that things can change. I, in four years, like I went from getting out in the first round to maybe four years later, potentially being an Olympian, which is really crazy. Yeah. What, what do you think when you think back to those 2016 trials? Um, I mean, it just has to be such a different feeling now when you were racing back then, like, were you looking at, you know, who, who Brenda Martinez, Alicia Montano. I know Kate Grace made the team. I know, but all those yeah. women, Molly Ludlow, like, were you looking at them like they were at a different, in a different playing field than you at that point? 
Yeah. What's actually interesting is so that same outdoor season, I had run an 800 at Mount Sac and um, I think it was that season. But anyways, because that's when you kind of start to mix races with pros and collegiates. And then I kind of had this realization, like, I'm going to I want to be there, mm. like looking at the Olymp- the uh, pros. So I'm like, I have to start seeing myself as one of them. Yeah. Um, and that I can compete with them. So I was kind of starting to change that mindset. But I also was just, you know, there's still a pretty clear difference between collegiates and pros. So I was like in the mental transition of kind of getting there. But there's definitely, I mean, kind of a side note with Brenda Martinez, her 2016 trials is probably one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen Mm. with her getting out in our falling in the final of the 800 and just coming back and like gritting her way to make the 1500 team that was like so inspirational and I was like wow like I could not do that right now so it's like how do I become that and even as a as I was like transitioning to be a pro I was like I want to be an athlete like Brenda Martinez who can make the 800 team or the 1500 team so yeah I kind of went off on a tangent there but uh no I love that (laughs) to get back what I was saying is I was starting to realize I needed to not be so intimidated by the pros but I knew there was definitely a gap to make up I wonder now that you mentioned the Brenda thing are you I know you're competing in the 800 mostly but are you training in a way that you could compete in the 15 too yeah, so I we've definitely been hitting a block of training these past few weeks after USA's of really building my aerobic base. So a lot of straight tempo runs and broken Ks, um, doing those consistently and not hitting speed quite as much. Uh, we're really preparing. So, excuse me, we're preparing for me to be able to run a good 15. But our thought is, in order for me to be like a 158, 157 girl, I need to be able to run a good 1500, but also run a really good 400. Yeah. So we're kind of hitting the one end of the spectrum of having that strong aerobic ability that you need to have for the 1500. And then over the next few months, we'll start building that speed. So it's like, maybe I can be like a 52, 53 quarter runner, but also maybe like a 405. 1500 meter runner. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember what 800 runner I talked to about this on this podcast. It very well could have been Brenda Martinez. Uh, but just talking about how as an 800 meter runner, you you either lean towards the four or lean towards the 15. What is your natural mm-hmm. lean? Um, I mean, I would probably say 1500. Okay. Considering I'm a mile NCAA champ. Yeah. But then it's also like, well, I do have a little bit of a background in being a 400 meter runner. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I really just am right in between. Like the 800 is probably just where I'm going to shine the most because I have that natural speed. And then, and it's like so easy. Well, not easy, but it's easier to develop your aerobic strength than it is your speed yeah 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 I so, see that. yeah I don't know I think I'm just right in the middle or maybe that's why I'm pretty good at the K because it's kind of right there in the middle 
So when you train your boyfriend, Chad's your coach, does he run with you? Does he do your training yeah. runs with you? Um, yeah, we'll do some runs together or um, we'll at least start together. And if he's feeling good, he'll add on or we'll split off from each other. But it is really fun that we can just head out the door together. And you're in Boulder. So though you're not mm-hmm. running with Joe's group anymore are you do you meet up with other ladies or other people to train with ever uh yeah I will um sometimes again back to the whole thing that we started out the that we talked about at the beginning um a lot of people run earlier and sometimes I want to run a little later so uh our schedules don't always match up but because I have I am training on my own more I have been trying to link up with people um it's also a lot easier on the days I do need to meet up with people to get up a little earlier if I have to, since my other days can be a little bit more relaxed. Um, but yeah, and I think it's also nice that, uh, because I'm on my own, I can kind of expand who I meet up with for runs. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. That is fun. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about the strength training that you're doing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I kind of touched on this a little bit since we have gotten back to training after indoors. I've been doing a lot of broken K's with one minute rest and they'll kind of start out at, you know, a fairly easy pace and get a little faster, which I think as a middle distance runner, it's sometimes easier to run that way mm-hmm. um, rather than distance runners who can just grind one time for so long. Mm-hmm. Um and then we started doing straight tempos, like either three miles or three and a half miles and maybe add on, you know, an 800 or a mile at the end, um, kind of going off what my threshold pace is looking like. And I'll actually do those on the treadmill. Really? Yeah, because it's already difficult doing a straight tempo at altitude. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something we did at OSU a lot. So we wanted to get back to that. And I think that really helped me grow as an athlete. And so we were incorporating that now, but it was a lot easier at sea level. And when you have a whole bunch of teammates to, and everyone could take the lead at different times. And since I'm on my own, being in the, on the treadmill kind of eliminates some of those extra factors. I really love that because I just did a tempo run on the treadmill yesterday and I'm a big like believer in the treadmill. Uh, Mm -hmm. I do prefer, you know, I do think that like, you know, experiencing conditions outside is important and blah, blah, blah. But like sometimes I feel like people don't give the treadmill enough credit. And I just did like a 40 minute tempo run on the treadmill and Mm -hmm. man, it was hard and it, and it, it, it counts. It's a real thing. So, um, I, I love it when I hear pros talk about utilizing the treadmill. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something is new. that's new to my training this year that Chad's been about. Um, but I actually enjoy it. And it was really nice because I was going to do a different workout on Tuesday, but then the wind picked up. Mm. So we're like, oh, let's just try doing a three and a half mile tempo, which I haven't done one yet. So it was like, oh, we'll see how it goes. But it ended up going really well. And I think it's really nice because the treadmill it's just going to keep going no matter what. So (laughs) you have to stay focused and, you know, really pay attention to what you're doing. So there's a very strong mental component that plays into doing those tempos and being on the treadmill. So 
I think I'm really going to enjoy doing that training. And I'm actually already looking forward to doing one next week. Oh, that's awesome. What's your tempo? Yeah. What is your tempo pace on the treadmill? Um, so this week I averaged 5.45, okay. three and a half miles. And that was like starting at, I started at 5.52 and got down to 5.36. Okay, okay. So yeah, so I kind of, I was just wanted to err on the side of being conservative. And that's kind of what we did at OSU. Dave was all about that, like starting out at, you know, 87s for the Ks and then dropping down. And then maybe depending on the day or the training, he would kind of let us really go after it the last mile or 800. And so I really, I do like training like that. Um, and so I think taking that approach into my training now is going to be really enjoyable. Yeah. The thing about the tempo run is it's like, sometimes it's hard to be patient because mm -hmm. you want to get rolling, but you know that it's a long process. So I'm like easing into it is always a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it's right now being, well, still being at altitude, I think it is a lot easier to start out conservative. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. But it is really good. It's, I was kind of talking to Chad and one of my old teammates about this, like, the there's like a process of emotion going through a tempo run and I think it's like first you start out you know the first mile mile and a half you're like oh I feel good like this isn't gonna be hard at all and then it starts getting hard and then you're just like oh no and then that's when you really have to focus on what you're doing and just not let your mind get in the way and then after you kind of get through that hump then you're just determined to finish and I kind of just realized, I was like, that's how I used to feel at OSU. So I think I'm doing it the right way. That's so true. That is so true. Yeah. It's like that middle chunk. You just got to power through. I love how you said that. Too. Exactly. Don't let your mind get in the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's something Joe really was about was just keeping a calm mind. Mm, okay. And uh, so I appreciate that I could take that away from being coached by him just really focusing on that mental side I mean as a pro everyone's talented so then it's like what mental edge can you have on other athletes that's so good what do you do to sharpen your mental preparation uh well I think growing confidence is huge mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to well at least for me to kind of diminish myself like oh everyone's so good and, you know, I forget to like think of myself at, on the, the same level mm -hmm. as others at times. And I think especially having ups and downs, you it's really easy to get caught up in that. So I think one, just being confident in my training and then also just knowing like you might be in a lot of pain, but it, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it's like so easy to be afraid of the pain. And I think there's that's been something that's held me back a lot in my career is to just try to keep it as comfortable as I can. And I kind of panic when it starts getting uncomfortable. So I think I'm, I've really started to learn that it's just temporary and you can work through the pain. And that's basically what you train for. That's such a good message for sure. Um, I think that when people get nervous about races and even everyday athletes who aren't pros, it's, I think that's what it is. They're scared of how bad it's going to hurt. Yeah, I think that's, it. uh, yeah, it's a hard lesson to learn. 
But I think if you can just learn to embrace the pain and discomfort, it's really going to be what can make or break you to accomplishing those big things. Yeah. What are, what's up next for you? I mean, I know the trials are obviously coming up this summer, but what do you, what's going on Mm -hmm. in between? Yeah, I'll be, I'm still mm, like maybe five weeks out from racing. There's those like Mount Sac, Azusa, those California meets Mm -hmm. are mid-April. So I'll go to one of those. And then from there, I'm going to race, you know, maybe every other week, every few weeks, depending on how that plays out. Uh, I'm going to mix a little bit of 1500s in there. And then of course I'll focus on the eight. Um, and then Adidas boost games is in June. So I'll go there and do that. Um, so I'll be racing a little bit more than I was in 2018, um, which does, I think will be nice to do. Yeah. Does that excite you? It does. I think in the 800, it's pretty easy to feel a little stale mm. if you're not racing a lot. So I think having a little bit more races before the championships will be nice. I, th- I mean, it was pretty clear in the finals in 2018 that each round I was starting to feel better. Mm. Um, and I think if I can just have like a little bit more, you know, sharpness or like that race mind going into the, Olymp- uh, the Olympic trials, I think that'll just give me that little bit more that, that I need to hopefully make top three. Do you feel like your mind is calmer when you race more? Yeah, I think so. Because I think there's a lot of uh, anxiety going into races because you're like, Oh, am I in shape? Am I ready? And then also if it's been a few months since you've raced, you kind of forget what it's like to get into that mode. Mm. So I think once racing becomes routine and then you start to get that confidence and you start to really see your training payoff, I think that really does help you be calmer. I, I think the more confident you are, you know, there's not, you don't have those same anxieties. And you mentioned Brenda Martinez earlier. I'm curious to know if there are any other athletes that you have looked up to over the years. Um, I don't know. That is a good question. I, I guess there's not really anything specific. I just, if I were, I mean, Brenda's been, I think one of the biggest people that's kind of been like, okay, I want to have that kind of strength. So, I mean, I don't really have much of an answer to elaborate on for you for that. Um, especially I think it's hard you know, once you're, you are a pro. Yeah. You're running, you're racing these people now. Yeah. You just, you, and you also just, instead of like looking up to people, you just think about like, okay, what's it going to be like when I line up next to them? Yeah. So it's a little different than being like, I want to be in that place one day versus like, oh, I'm about to race this person. Yeah. I belong here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that is, is a interesting feeling, especially people that are like, at the end of their pro career, you know, people that you've watched uh, train professionally and, and race for a long time. And now you're mm-hmm. suddenly here next to them as opposed to people that are like done and retired. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people mm-hmm. that aren't on the track anymore that you're not racing and that's not even, yeah. you know, part of the story. Yeah. Um, and then who's your sounding board? Is it Chad? 
what exactly do you mean by that? Just like with training and life and who do you go to with your, with, with your stuff? Oh yeah. Um, I think mostly Chad. I mean, we live together and, you know, I think we lean on each other a lot. Mm -hmm. So he's definitely the first person I go to, but depending on what the situation is, I, you know, I lean on my family a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's like different things. I mean, you, there's kind of different people for different situations. Um, and it's like so easy. It's like family, you know, they'll always be there and accept you for you no matter what. Um, and then there's your friends who kind of, you know, help keep you grounded or keep you sane (laughs) (laughs) and, or give you reprieve from your relation, other relationships. Um, so, you know, I have like a good group, but I definitely lean on Chad the most because we're really creating a life together. Yeah. Um, are you anxious at all about events getting canceled with the coronavirus? A little bit. I think I just taking, I have like a really bad habit of like making things not a big deal mm-hmm. and like being like, oh, this doesn't matter. Or like, I don't know, kind of procrastinating Mm -hmm. things. Um, So at the moment, I'm kind of just like taking it day by day. And I'm like, oh, it's, you know, it's not going to happen to me. You know, like, I'm not going to be impacted by this, which I think is sometimes an easy way to feel Mm -hmm. about things going on. But I mean, just before I hopped on this podcast, they were talking about all the basketball events and championships that are being canceled. So I'm like, okay, this is really becoming a reality. So it is kind of in the back of my mind, but I'm like, oh, I guess we'll see. I mean, either way, there's not anything as a, like, as a community, a running community, community, we can't really do anything about it anyway. So right, I'm not stressing too much. I mean, we'll all be in the same boat if events get canceled, but it is really unfortunate. I mean, there's so many unexpected results of this virus. Yeah. And there's so many ways that it's being impacted. That's like, you know, what's going to happen if we don't get to run certain events that are in our contract or, you know, that can help us become better athletes. I mean, that's kind of scary to think about. But again, we'll just have to see how things go. And if things do change or events get canceled, I guess we'll all be in the same boat. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, financial issues going on with this. This, yeah, I don't want to be dramatic, but I guess I'll call it a crisis. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. And then it's also like how much of it is like over dramatized. Yeah, or how, or is it really this serious? So I guess we'll start to learn more about it. Yeah, I think it's kind of day by day unfolding. I just listened to um, this podcast on Joe Rogan about about the what's it called? Let me see what the uh, Brian Regan. No, wait, no, Dan Hart. Who who was I listening to on there? Oh, now I can't find it. Anyway, there's a podcast on Joe Rogan, the most recent episode mm-hmm. about the virus, and it's it's pretty enlightening, but it's also kind of scary. So. Oh man. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap up with some into the podcast questions. All right. Sounds I think good. Emma sent those to you, right? Yes, she did. So I hope 
I was like, I don't know if I have the most creative answers, but I'll try to be as interesting as I can. Well, it's okay. Half, <laughs> half the time, the people don't ever even read them beforehand. So um, you never know if people are actually going to have read them. And so sometimes on the fly answers oh, yeah. are, are just fine. Um, what's one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Um, well, I think on a basic level, it would be nice to make my first U.S. team and which would be hopefully the Olympics. Um, being an Olympian is probably one of the highest achievements as a track athlete. So um, not a very creative answer, but I think that is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I don't know what would trump that. Yeah. So, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I wish there was like a more profound answer, but I think most people would say that if well, the people that haven't already achieved that. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Mm, that's pretty tough. I mean, winning an NCAA title is pretty cool. But breaking two, mm, mm-hmm. that was pretty crazy. I mean, when you tell people, like, I, I can run the 800 in less than 60 seconds per lap. Like, that's pretty crazy. It's like a talent like a superhero power yeah and it's like one of those it's like breaking two is like a defining mark it feels like right and again that's like one of those other accomplishments that can't ever be taken away yes that's so true yeah what is a nonprofit you like to support um I guess I'm not super involved in a nonprofit, but we did adopt both of our kitties Mm. from the Humane Society in Boulder and so we have two so we adopted Morty in 2017 when we first moved out here he's like a little black and white cat he was three years old Um, and then a year later we adopted George who's um, a tabby cat we wanted to get a young female cat and we ended up coming home with a six-year-old fat male cat (laughs) but he is like the light of our lives well they both are but it's funny because morty's like the definition of a cat just wants to be left alone until he wants attention but george is more like a dog and he's super affectionate and loving and full of personality so yeah we're i'm into supporting animals I love those names, George and Morty. Those are great names. Uh, Yeah, we um, got Morty off the show Rick and Morty. Okay. And George actually had that name at the shelter, but it just fit him so well. Yeah. So we kept it. Yeah. George is such a solid name, like for a human, for an animal. It's just a good name. I'm a big fan of human names for pets. Oh, I am too. It works out. I don't, I thought I was unique because of that, but maybe I'm not the only one. I feel like I've been hearing more people say that. And, um, if people are regular listeners of the podcast, they'll be annoyed. Cause I say, I talk about this a lot, but, um, my kids' names are also really good dog names. Like my, my <laughs> second son, his name is Lewis mm-hmm. and I'm like a dog named Lewis would just be too good. Like that's just yeah. too good. That's um, funny. And then my third is Russell, and I think Russ, Russ is such mm. a good dog name, too. Oh, yeah, that is. For, like, a big dog. Yeah. Russ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, anyway. Okay. Um, sorry, all the people who have heard me say that 9 million times. Uh, <laughs> what's the best, most recent book you've read? Um, I will currently, I'm reading The Righteous Mind by okay. Jonathan Haidt. And it's about why people are divided by politics and religion. Ooh. Um, yeah, so it's really good. It's coming from a different standpoint of like the characteristics and genetics and, you know, why religion is a thing. And it has a lot to do with as humans, we thrive and survive in being in groups. Um, so I don't know. I think it's really good. I'm pretty, I mean, as in, since I'm not working mm. full time or full time I have to find mental stimulus in other ways and I it's definitely not from watching TV because I watch crap on TV <laughs> so I have to find it in books so I'm really into reading books right now about either business or kind of psychology or evolutionary psychology so I'm into that and then I just ordered a new book um, called Behave and it's what it's about what goes on in your mind before you act in a certain way. Mm. So I'm really excited to read that. So I'm kind of interested in that. And yeah. What did you go to school for? I went to school for marketing. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, what's the crap TV that you watch? Uh, I don't even know if I want to say, but you know, I'll watch Grey's Anatomy <laughs> and Let's see. I'm really into HGTV. Okay. I guess that's not crap. No. That kind of feeds into like my creative side and yeah. my like fantasy world. Yeah. Also, um, let's see. I, I I tend to watch a lot of dramas, and Chad always teases me that I'm really into like dark TV shows. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of. I guess I have like a uh, interest in like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like crime and dark dramas and even like if I read thrillers for books it's I really like those like mystery or like murder books I don't know I don't know if I'm like twisted or what (laughs) (laughs) if you could have coffee tea or cocktail with someone fun motivating or inspiring who would it be I was thinking about this answer and I wasn't really sure what to say but I'm just gonna go ahead and say I think I'd like to have uh, coffee or cocktail with Jared Leto, the singer of 30 Seconds to Mars. Okay. Uh, he's not too bad to look at, <laughs> but he's like an artist in every way. So I think it would just be a very intriguing conversation. That's a funny answer. And, yeah, it's one of my favorite bands. 30 Seconds so, to Mars. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I know songs by them. Maybe I do. Yeah, they, I mean, they got really big in, what was it, like 2006? Okay. I'm trying to think what the song called The Kill. Okay. Um, and then they came out with another album in 2008. Let's see which was the big album. Uh, it's, it was Their album was called This Is War. Uh, they had a song called Kings and Queens. That was pretty popular. Yeah, I don't know. They're like a rock band, like alternative rock band. Okay, okay. All right, yeah. here's the big one. What's, okay. What is your one message to send to the world? Oh, yeah. I was thinking a lot about this. So this is kind of, it's kind of two in one. 
I think always seeking to be authentic in yourself. It's something I feel I always have to check myself on. It's easy to be influenced and especially in like the track world. It's such a small world Mm. and you see a lot of the same people that I don't know. I think it's just really good to always make sure you're being yourself. Mm. Um, And then, you know, try not to everyone has their own lifestyle and way they see life for themselves. And I think you shouldn't ever really project your lifestyle on someone else Mm. or act like your lifestyle is better because everyone's story is different. And everyone has their own way of getting to whatever achievements or happiness. So I don't think you should ever get in the way or make anyone feel bad for choosing life a certain way. I love that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, Kayla, this has been very fun getting to know you. And um, I'm honored to be your first podcast. Uh, yes, thank you so, so much for having me. And I hope uh, people can bear with my rambling. I know that's a bad habit I have. So I hope people are still interested in what I have to say. And I appreciate that you are interested in my story um, and kind of make me dig deep into, you know, why I'm doing what I do. So I appreciate that. Oh, you're kind. Well, just so you know, I didn't think you rambled. So Oh, thank you. I thought you did a great job. Um, Thanks so much. We'll send you the the links to this. Um, I'll probably put it out next Friday. Um, and so we'll send you all the information. And I might bug you for a picture to use if you have one. To the, to pro- yes, I to can promote send it. one. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. Okay. Thanks, Kayla. All right. Thank you. Bye, Bye. Lindsay. Okay, thank you so much, everybody, for coming on the show today. Thank you, Kayla, for sharing your story. You all can find Kayla on Instagram. She is kk.edwards over there. You can find me on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter, at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine, where we have a group as well. And check us out over on Patreon, patreon.com slash lindsayhine for monthly bonus episodes over there. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate each and every one of you. Hosting this podcast has given me so much normalcy in my life during this crazy time. If there's two things that are making me feel normal and like everything is consistently the same, which it's not at all, but a little bit normal is this podcast and getting out the door for a run. So uh, if it weren't for all of you, that wouldn't be possible. So I appreciate each and every one of you. Have a really great rest of your day. And as always, we'll see you next Friday.